0: We're in Hebrews, starting in the third chapter, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, again, just raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Starting in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 3. Let's get back to our, there we go. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward but christ is a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end father we pray again the anointing of your spirit the work of your spirit lord remove me and may each person hear from jesus and by the holy spirit Uh, lord just touch each and every word and each heart it's in your name we pray amen Now, if I walked up to anyone here sitting here this morning and just said these two words to you, therefore, consider, I just say that to you. I I don't say anything else, no background, just, therefore, consider, you'd probably be thinking, "Uh, therefore, what, therefore, what, what am I to be considering But if I read you Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, then said those words, I read the previous verses that we finished with two Sundays ago because Scott was here last Sunday. But if I read Hebrews 2, 10 through 18, and then said, therefore consider, well, the connection is clear. In light of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he has promised, it prompts us to pause and remember to give serious thought to the grace we've been given, to evaluate and appreciate what God has bestowed, and to appropriate, to recommit, to deepen our submission to the Lordship of Christ. And if and as we do this, The last four words, look at the last four words of verse 6. Firm to the end. Last four words of verse 6. Firm to the end. They should and would be the apt description of our life. I just mentioned that Charmy's turned 81. I'm 50. That's 31 years ahead of me. And we got kids over in the the nursery that are one or, or five. The end is different for different people. There's a a timeline that God sets. That dash is up to the Lord, isn't it? He's the one that determines our days. But he still wants all of us to be firm to the end. Wouldn't you agree with that? All of us. And we can be all because of the faithful ministry of Christ who now lives in us. Isn't that great? That he now lives in us. Not just in heaven, he certainly lives, sits on his throne, but he lives in us. And if you're taking notes this morning, because he was faithful is what I'll be talking about this morning. Because he was faithful, now we know he is faithful as well, but, but this is looking back at things that Christ has done that are recorded. And looking at these six verses as a whole, the complete mindset is this. Because he was faithful... Because he remains forever faithful, we can be faithful, but in him. Not apart from him, we can be faithful in him. It's the only way we can be faithful. Being faithful is not easy, is it? Employers have a hard time finding faithful employees these days. People that will just show up on time. But God can help us be faithful in the things that he's called us to. And the victory that we looked at a couple of weeks ago... In chapter two, moves then from our heart. We want to have, we want to really believe in the victory of God in our hearts, don't we? Not just to have intellectual, not, but we want to really like be able to stand on it. But if God wants us to move from here to here and our feet. Because that is we're gonna have to move out. We're still gonna have to bend down and pray. We're still gonna have to stoop down and help people, we're still gonna have to reach out with. Hands of hell. So turn back to verse 1 as we look at this beautiful and this profound exhortation. That's what it is. Exhortation is is anytime you see the word exhortation or or I mention it, it's the the mindset that you can do this, right? You know, I like sports. A good coach says, we can do this. We've practiced. We've put in the time. We know the plays. We can do this. Well, God says, look, I've given you the Holy Spirit and I've done everything, you can do this because of him. And so we want to look back at verse 1, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers. If you're taking notes, we'll look at three things this morning. The first is what I've titled the provision. Now there's a lot packed into this opening statement. The readers of this epistle... And us, because we're we're the readers then, in the context, remember, this is written 2,000 years ago, as they're reading it for the first time, they're seeing the same words, therefore consider. But as they're reading it, and as we read it, we all are partakers in the ministry of Christ through salvation. We've talked a lot in the last uh, three weeks about this word, through. Everything is through Christ, through. I can do all things through Christ, right? Our salvation is through Him through his grace. so we're, But we're partakers in this ministry through salvation, and it all comes to us from Jesus, right? We live in Richmond. The James River passes by us, but the water doesn't come from Richmond. It comes through. It comes from somewhere else, right? It's passing through, and the water that we receive from the Holy Spirit comes from God through us. It flows. Jesus said it would flow out of us, comes to us, we don't create it, we receive it, and it comes through us. But He provides, and we then what? Partake. But we willingly partake. We're not He doesn't force things in us. We say, "Lord, I want to, what? Receive. Anyone receives Christ, right? We are partakers. In just a bit, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper, right? We use the word "partake. No one's going to, no deacon here is going to open your mouth and shove crackers down you. (laughs) You will eat this, and you will be holy when I'm done with this. You will drink this water or this grape juice. Nobody was asked to bring their own grape juice today. You did not get an email. Make sure you bring grape juice and crackers tomorrow. Nobody was told to bring little cups. Make sure you come prepared. Bring a little backpack of things, like preparing the lunch for the kids at school. No, you weren't told to bring anything. There's no communion fee today, or any day, by the way, if you're worried. There was never a communion fee. There never will be a communion fee. There's nothing that would prohibit anyone who desires to partake, who desires to partake. This is exactly how salvation would extend to us, extended to us. But, of course, it was at tremendous cost to God, Right? Tremendous cost to Jesus and his sacrifice. But then it was extended, and then we partake. But the provision is offered. It's not forced on us. But everything in the offering is found in Christ. Everything in the offering comes from Christ. In verse 2, in verses, uh, back to chapter 2, you don't have to look back there. We don't have time. But back in chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, because I've enumerated them. I'll read a few off. Uh, we see outline that Jesus offered his salvation, his propitiation, which means atonement or his covering, his blood, his suffering, our adoption into the family of God, victory over death, victory over the devil, victory over the fear of death, victory over the bondage of sin and death, he provided And continues to provide his own aid, his continuous mercy, and mediation between us and the Father. Which is really good because we don't have a way to get there without Jesus. Amen? So again, all this prompts, knowing verses 2 through uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, knowing those listed things that I just said, Knowing and understanding that, as as the reader would have been reading this 2,000 years ago, prompts a therefore from the author. A pondering, say, are you you pondering all Christ has provided? But his provision isn't just a thing that happened in the past. No, it's a living, growing, life-giving, currently present provision with eternal components right it's present and it's eternal in other words what he's doing in us now will live into eternity what he's providing for us now the spiritual things will co- will go with us then he says holy brethren therefore holy brethren Holy. What does it mean? It means a most holy thing. And say, well, that doesn't help me. Holy means holy. Okay, got it. Uh, it really does. Holy does mean holy. That's what it means. But in the context here, holy brethren, it means saints. Saints. You can start referring to you and you're, hey, Saint Sarah, Saint Timothy. You know, you can say, no, I don't do that. But you could. Uh, <laughs> People will get, oh, that church down the street. You know. It's just a joke, people, just a joke. But um, it means saint, holy, set apart. And the word brethren, it means to have the same parents, same ancestors, part of the same family. Jesus saying, you're part of my family. I have set you apart into this family. So we could read it like this. Most holy saints and members of the same family. That's how we could read it and understand it in our vernacular. We've received this family inclusion, but not to sit, but rather to serve. Again, I love, don't you love a, a big family dinner? I don't mean like all these family. I'm just talking about your family, if it's five or ten or three or four or whatever, just your family and, and no other responsibilities and you just kind of fellowship. That's a wonderful thing. But the Bible, get, we're strengthened to then serve. Not just to sit, but rather to serve. And notice what has been given to us. It goes on to say, holy brethren, partakers of the what? Heavenly calling. Calling. A heavenly Calling. Not just pastors, not just elders, not just evangelists, not just missionaries, not just deacons, not just church planters. All members of God's family, if you've been saved, if you're a member of God's family, you have a holy calling. Everyone. This is a letter to every single person that's reading it as a believer. Just as Jesus had a mission from the Father, so we have a mission. Consider Christ's faithfulness to the mission and his continued faithfulness. Was he faithful to his mission? Of course. Every box that the Father put had to be checked. Jesus did them all to perfection. But he continues to be faithful to us in our mission. And the word apostle, this word apostle is, is one of the titles for Jesus. By the way, the word apostle has a number of different meanings in the Bible. Um. So when people have themselves today a title, apostle so-and-so, there is is a place where that could make sense. But in the truest sense of the word, there was 12 apostles. The The word apostle means sent ones, those who are sent. And so Jesus is the apostle. You have the 12 apostles, and then you have apostolic work, like missionaries doing, planting, going out, sent out, That's apostolic in nature, to be sent out to plant, to take the message of the gospel is apostolic. But there's 12 apostles, and there is the apostle here, Jesus, because what? He came down with a message. Does that make sense? He was sent, for God to love the world, that he sent his only begotten. He sent his apostle, or his son, or his Messiah, all these are names that, that qualify, only for Jesus. So he came as the sent one, with the message of the gospel. And he was sent forth with these orders from God that he fulfilled. Now it also says, uh, the high priest of our confession. Well, the high priest, how many high priests were there at any given time? One. Only one high priest. Now Jesus is the one high priest for eternity. Amen? Amen. He's the only high priest that will be in the heavenly temple. He he is the high priest. Aaron would have sons and gone, and and one by one there would be another high priest, but there would only be one high priest at a time. But Jesus is the high priest for all time. And so we're to have an appreciation and an understanding for these provisions, and it goes on, obviously, the confession of Christ, Jesus. Christ means Messiah. Jesus means, again, Messiah the one who will save his people from his sins. We're talking about the Messiah, the one who will come, who brings salvation. But he's the apostle, the sent one. He's our high priest. And so with all of this context and the previous verses in chapter 2, the writer's saying, you've been provided all of this. But then we get some practical reminders here as well, or some practical guidance and what I've titled The Patterns. You guys like to have patterns. Now, when I grew up, my mom did, made clothes and dresses and stuff like that. Thankfully, she never made my clothes. You know that we got those at like J.C. and stuff like that. But she did make some of my sisters. shit had, with patterns would be laying around, and I just thought it was fun paper to ball up and you know I thought it was newspapers or something but they'd have these little dotted lines and everything. Patterns are helpful. If you want to make something, you need a pattern. The um, closest thing for me would be recipes, right, that, that I know what to do. All right, this, this thing, this thing, this thing, it. Uh, I can do that, I can do that, I can, I can add a quarter cup, that kind of, you have to have a pattern. Well, the Bible is full of patterns. Did you know that? The Bible is full of patterns. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is full of patterns to follow. And we'll look uh, next week, verses 7 through 19, on patterns not to follow. Did you know that? The Bible also has patterns. Don't do these patterns. Do these patterns. Don't follow these patterns. The perfect pattern in all of Scripture is Jesus himself. He's the perfect pattern. He's the fulfillment of all the types, all the shadows, all the images that are found in the law and the prophets that all pointed to the Messiah and his sinless and his holy attributes. He is The perfect pattern. Keep in mind, the title of this epistle, we talked about this when we we did the opening of the book, it's called the epistle to the who? Hebrews. The epistle to the Hebrews. It's because the target audience was believing Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jews. It was to the Hellenistic Jews living in the Roman Empire, right? Right? When Hellenistic is all of the Greco-Roman world was Greek-speaking. But many of these Jewish people still went to synagogues in in different Roman cities. And this is written to them to say, hey, you know the Old Testament scriptures, but I'm going to show you that the pattern of Jesus was in the Old Testament. And you're going to see a lot of that as we go forward in this book in Hebrews. But this is kind of the starting point of some of that. So the author is laying out that Jesus was faithful to his calling and that only he he could ever fulfill his calling. No one could fulfill the calling of Jesus. Anyone else tried to be Messiah, our sins still aren't forgiven. Amen? Only Jesus could fulfill his calling. Now Moses, who is mentioned here, goes on to say, who is faithful to him who uh, who is appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in his house, In all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was a forerunner to the ministry of Christ as what? Moses was a deliverer. Jesus is a deliverer, much greater. Moses delivered a small, relatively small, couple million people out of bondage. Jesus delivered millions of people out of bondage, out of eternal bondage. This was a temporary bondage. But again, he was a forerunner, setting people free from chains. Jesus would ultimately set us free from the chains of death and sin. But Moses was a man just like us, and yet he was faithful in his service to the Lord. God says he was faithful. You ever have people you know, that, that are just kind of resisting God, and you're kind of talking, to them. eventually they'll, they'll come up with a statement like this, well, nobody's perfect. Oh, y'all are sinners too. I'm like, yeah, that's true. So if you're all sinners, no one can judge anyone. No, no, no. God can judge you faithful, even though you're imperfect. Isn't that great to know? He's going to say, well done and good and, I say it all the time, he's never going to say good and perfect servant. It's not recorded anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere in heaven does Jesus say, wow, you finally were the first perfect one I've been looking for. Good and faithful servant. But Moses was like us. He was a good and faithful servant. Uh, he wasn't perfect. Only Christ is perfect. But Moses was judged faithful by God. And why and how was he judged faithful? Well, it says it says he was faithful in his house, faithful, faithful in all the things as a testimony. God took what from Moses? His obedience. God took the obedience of Moses, the surrender and desire of Moses to be faithful. Do you desire to be faithful? God knows if you are playing games or if you desire to be faithful. He knows who desires to be faithful. He knows who desires to get, uh, I just want to just punch, uh, you know, kind of, kind of something that God says, if I do this, then I'm covered. That's not faithful. He knows who desire. He knows who's waiting on him. He knows who desires to be holy. He knows who desires to please him. He knows who really desires to obey. Even when you're disobedient, God will know if you really wanted to be obedient versus just saying, I'm not doing this. I run my own life. There's people in this room here that run their own life. I guarantee it. I don't know who you are, but I guarantee there's someone in here that runs your own life and you have no desire to be obedient and God knows it. There's others that deeply desire to be obedient. God looked at Moses, I see it. I see the desire. It's genuine. And because he took that obedience from Moses and Moses desired to be faithful, God actually helped him to be faithful. Isn't that great? took the desire and helped him accomplish it. Aren't you glad, though, you look at Moses, just like us, person like us, bled like us, had lots of mistakes like us. Uh, He got really angry at people sometimes, got fed up with them. All that kind of stuff. Aren't you glad we have godly patterns and examples in Scripture? Real examples. People just like us that went from opposition or resistance to God to then they became faithful and they became consistent servants of God. They weren't always consistent, but they became consistent. God wants you to become consistent in this room. So I'm not so consistent now. He wants you to become it. Say, Lord, I desire to be consistent. He'll help you get there. Paul said his life could be followed both as an example and one that if you followed his example, Paul Paul said, you know, you can expect the same victory you see in me in your own life if you follow my example. Now, Paul didn't say follow him as as a Messiah. He said follow the way he was walking, that we would see the same power over our flesh and over this world that we saw in the life of the apostle Paul. Examples are just that. They're patterns of faithfulness. Moses was a pattern. He was a pattern there working, serving in the house of God they are to be observed and learned from, but only Jesus is to be followed. The children of Israel were not to follow Moses. They followed the cloud of God and the fire of God, but Moses gave them the words of God. No believer or Christian leader should ever outshine Jesus, and we see a lot of that today, don't we? We see a lot of celebrity pastors they don't even mention Jesus, like, that much sometimes. C.S. Lewis said, never, never pin your whole faith on any human being. Don't pin your faith on a human being. They should be pointing to Christ. Moses reflected the light, and he presented the law, but Jesus is the light, and Jesus is the law, in addition to his grace, and his mercy, and his love, and his truth, all in bodily form, right? Right? Moses pointed to those things. Jesus was those things. See the difference? Moses says in verse 5, he was faithful for a testimony. A testimony. What? What testimony? For all followers of the Lord, but also as a testimonial foreshadow. Again, he was a deliverer. He was a type, a foreshadow of the one that was far worthier, far more glory who was to come. Understand, godly examples don't take us away from Christ, but godly examples in your life, if you have godly mentors or godly examples in your life, godly examples will never take you away from Christ. They will lead you closer to Christ. And not themselves. They'll lead you closer to Christ. Like John the Baptist, he pointed everyone to the Messiah, didn't he? And Jesus of John was the greatest man ever born of woman. That's a pretty good recommendation, right? (laughs) And John says, I'm not even worthy of his sandal strap. John pointed people to the Messiah and always reminded them uh, of his own dependence on Christ. I have real concerns when I hear Christian leaders that talk about their ministries, talk about all their supposed successes, talk about all their victories, and barely mention Jesus at all. Who... Who are we going to worship here? Who are we going to church to hear about? Them or the Lord that saved them? But godly patterns, they're a gift. I love faithful men that have come down through the ages. We're going through the D.L. Moody study with our, with our men on you know, our bottom rowers once, once every Thursday, one Thursday night a month because D.L. Moody was a humble man that pointed people to Jesus. He's a godly pattern. They're a gift and a practical help in our walk. Uh, a little girl, I was reading a biography about George Mueller, and George Mueller had such great faith, and God used him to start these orphanages in England and just so many things, and he learned multiple languages. And this little girl in the 1800s, she saw the faith of George Mueller, and her little prayer was, Lord, give me the faith of George Mueller. Did you know that's a pure prayer God will hear? She wasn't saying, Lord, I, I worship and follow George Mueller. But I look at certain people, and I say, Wow, well, Lord, can you give me their faith? When I look at the persecuted church around the world or I see things, I'm like, Lord, give me that kind of love for you. They're a model. They're a pattern. I don't follow them, but or I, don't, I don't worship them per se, but to follow their lead is a good thing. It's why parents, do you believe with me that parents to be godly patterns for their kids? Their kids aren't to worship their parents, but their parents should be patterns that their kids could follow. The whole reason why we just talked about this on Mother's Day and we'll talk about it on Father's Day because we're as parents to be patterns, godly patterns. Same with godly leaders or mentors for discipleship. You should be able to disciple someone and say, this is how I grew past that. This is how I grew past that. This is how I walked through that. This is how I was able to overcome that in my life. You should be able to share that. As I said earlier, the Bible itself is full of godly patterns. All through the Bible is full of patterns. Matter of fact, after this message, you might start seeing patterns more than you've seen before. It's like, say, wow, I think I see a pattern here. I, I saw one recently in my own personal study. I'm, I'm in the book of Numbers, and I saw one that I can't wait to preach on. I'm like, I see a pattern here, and it is one that might surprise you uh, that you'd call it a pattern. But I'm looking forward to sharing it, but I'm not going to mention it right now. But I'll go back to the, li- um, the Bible is full of godly patterns, and the lives of people... And the commandments and the principles that are given to follow, they're blueprints for our life. They're blueprints. Say, Lord, you can trust the blueprints of God. Amen? You can absolutely trust them. Godly patterns produce, guess what? Godly patterns produce, here it is, godly patterns. Godly patterns in you will produce more godly patterns in you. Godly patterns in other people will produce more godly patterns in disciples. Godly habits produce what? Godly habits. Godly commitments produce godly commitments. Who are your godly examples in life? You should have people that you say, these are people that I look up to in life in the ministry. Not worship them, but I say I look at them as examples. Who are some of your godly examples? Who are patterns are you're following? What are the biblical patterns that you're following? All these things are important. The writer is saying, Moses was this, but he was really just shining all the glory back to God. And we have a heavenly calling to follow in the same footsteps. Last thing we look at this morning, we looked at the provision, we looked at the patterns, and so we want to close here with this last point here. The purpose of all this says in verse um, the end of let me read five, five and six together and just let it flow together. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, right? Not as a lord, not as a king, not as a ruler. Moses was a leader, but he was a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Well, we're the afterward right here. We're the two thousand, well, now we're the six thousand years or so later. Well, we're, we're part of the afterward here. And but Christ as a son over his own house whose son we are if we hold fast, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. The purpose. We see here again the preeminence of Christ, but Christ as a son, verse 6, over his house. Uh, The preeminence of Christ, Christ again, Messiah, the son, or the heir. We've already seen this written in Hebrews in the first two chapters, he's the heir of, of all things, but he's not just the heir of all things. He is head over his house, and not only is he head over the house, because there's so many things about God that are multiple, mind-bending at the same time. Jesus is over the house, and he is the house, whose house we are, and then we become part of the house. He's the house, and we've been placed as little stones next to what? The chief corner stone. He's the cornerstone, and then we're putting we're put little, little bricks or little stones all around. And like a well-built house, in verse 6, whose house we are, if we what? Hold fast. How many like a well-built house? How many want a really cheap house that falls apart and everything is everything's a punch list, right? You know, just, everything's falling apart. No, you want one that holds fast. A well-built house is to stand firm, and we're told here to hold fast, to stand strong in the face of a well-built house, can stand strong in the face of winds, in the face of rain, heat, cold, storms, various seasons. Life has seasons. Some of you have been through some tough seasons in the last year. I look around, I see faces. I know a number of you have been very tough season. Some of you are in a tough season right now. But you can still stand firm and you can still hold fast. Did you know that? Why? Because because of him. Because of Jesus. It's not easy to stand firm, is it? It's not easy to hold fast. Not easy at all. But we have an immovable rock. Jesus won't budge. Isn't that great to know? Satan petrifies Jesus. I was rereading some of the things about, and Job's, Job had to, Satan had to ask permission for everything with, as it related to, you know, Satan had to come, can I do this to Job? Can I do this to Job? Can I do this to Job? Everything that happens in your life, God's allowed. There's, not, there's nothing that happened in the last week, month, year, 10 years that God said, wow, I did not know that was going on. He's allowed it all. And yet he says here that you can still hold fast and stand firm. Not in your own strength. You don't have any. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't bring anything to the table. You didn't build the house. You were fitted into the house. You didn't put the cornerstone there. It already was there. We just get close to the cornerstone. Amen? You want to be close to that corner. Look what it says. Who is Christ Jesus, the Son over his own house, whose house we are, whose house we are, if, 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 if we hold fast, the confidence and the rejoicing of hope Firm to the end. So we have this word confidence. Let me give you the definition, the Greek definition of it. It means free in speaking. In other words, we'll want to share the rock with others. It also means free and fearless, boldness, assurance. And I love this also. It means cheerful courage. Not just courage, cheerful courage. You ever seen, like, special forces jumping out of the plane in the middle of the night, and they got the night goggles on? Yee, this is great. <laughs> cheerful courage, right? I don't see any of them but it, but they met, there may be one in a million that has that. David kind of had, he ran to the battles. Where's Goliath? Cheerful courage. Don't you want to have cheerful courage? Not just courage, but cheerful courage. That's one of the definitions of this word here confidence, which goes perfectly with the next couple of words, rejoicing and hope. with perfect goes perfectly with rejoicing and hope. And we talk about hope a lot around here. Hope means joyful expectation. So here's the purpose of our provision and the patterns that have been given to us. Jesus died and rose that we would be. This is what the writer's trying to get the point across here. Jesus died and rose that you and I, whether you're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a stay-at-home mom, or a businessman, or whatever you are, police officer, plumber, anything, doesn't matter, student, college student, that you have a heavenly calling, but you would be, A, like Moses, a servant and a participant in the heavenly calling. Would you agree that Moses was a servant and an active participant in his heavenly calling? Yes, he fulfilled his calling. Two, if you're taking notes, one, that you would be a servant and a participant in your heavenly calling from Jesus. Number two, that we would be replica patterns of his holy character and of the saints that went before us, that he transformed, that we'd be replica patterns of those that went before us and patterns of Jesus himself. Not Jesus, but patterns. That's why Christian, Christ, little, little Christ, right? And third, lastly that we would hold fast and firm to the end with rejoicing, with hope, and a humble confidence until Jesus calls us home. What a little list that is. I know there's a lot. Yeah, the Greek words are actually pretty rich. There's a lot there. Furthermore, that this would keep us growing until he calls us home. That the knowledge of this, we would say, Lord, I desire that. And if we desire it, then he'll be faithful to help us be faithful. And only through, one, salvation, we have to be saved first. Two, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. If you, have no, if you don't have the work of the Holy Spirit, this is impossible. It would be like driving your car with no gas and no spark plugs. Not going to happen. can look great on the outside. You have to have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. And three, and this is key, surrender of our will and a desire of his will surrender of our own will and a desire of his will you have to say Lord I want what you want and the Holy Spirit says I can make that happen because you're saved and because I dwell on you now that you want the thing that the Father wants that desire can lead to the heavenly fulfillment of our heavenly calling and this is the purpose of it all Moses was flawed just like us He became faithful and pleased the Lord because God was faithful to take Moses' mustard seed of willingness and turn it into faithfulness, his mustard seed of willingness and turn it into faithfulness. And here's something I've come, as we come to a close here, here's something I've come to see throughout all the scriptures. I've gone through the Bible a number of times. The whole Bible marked it up. Something I've come to see personally in my own life and in the scriptures We cannot really please Christ until we want to. That's deep, isn't it? You cannot, you will not really please Christ until you want to. Until you say, Lord, I want to please you. You start praying that all week. Lord, I want, it'll change the way you think, it'll change the way you drive. The other drivers will be glad that it changed the way you drive because uh, you, you'll be nicer. and every, you'll just You just start saying this simple prayer, Lord, I want to please you. I want to honor you. When you start doing that, you can't even think sinful thoughts. You start praying, Lord, I want to please you. You cannot please Christ until you want to. Moses wanted to. Jesus lived to please the Father. Amen? And when we truly desire to be faithful to our Savior... Faithful to our calling, we can and we will because what? He is faithful. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning for the faithfulness of Jesus. Lord, I can't speak for each person in here, but I know I speak for many and I know I speak for myself. Lord, we want to please you, we want to honor you, we want to glorify you. We want the help of your Holy Spirit. We want to be faithful to the heavenly calling. Lord, we want to have a joyful courage, a cheerful courage. We want to be people of hope and joyful expectation. We want to be servant-minded, not Mm self-minded. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us. Forgive us where we have not been praying according to this end. And, Lord, realign our thinking and our priorities, and our mindset to be like Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.